I'm Brian Breking, founder and CEO of Kairos. This is our mission, and these are our values. Welcome to Mission and Values, a backstage capital podcast about remarkable startup cultures led by underrepresented founders. I'm your host, Brian Landers. The best company cultures never stop growing, so the details you'll hear today are just a snapshot of where the company is. Today, I'm talking to Brian Brackeen, the founder and CEO of Kairos. So I'm really excited to have you as the first guest on season two. Welcome to the show, Brian. Honored to have made it to season two. Very cool. Yes, and you've been a guest before on episode 11 that featured Arlen Hamilton of Backstage Capital. So welcome back. Good to be back. So full disclosure, uh, Backstage Capital is an investor in Kairos. So all the lawyers will be happy we got that out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) So what is Kairos? So Kairos, we're a facial recognition firm. And uh, we really do three things. Recognition, so we can find one person in 500 million in about a second. And we're 99.6% sure that person is who we think that they are. We also do age, gender, ethnicity. We use those for like a demographic information for our customers, both online and offline. And then the last thing we do is around emotion. So understanding these deeper human emotions as you're looking at content like a movie or, or an advertisement and helping our customers to better understand that as well. Got it. And now who are the primary customers for Kairos and what would be like an example use case for Kairos? Sure, sure. I'll give you a couple. The thing that we really do, you really drill it down, is what we're calling human analytics. Anything involving humanity that involves a camera, we're helping people to better understand humanity. So here's a couple examples. Let's say you were on a cruise ship, right? And they take pictures of you like eating a steak or on a jet ski or, you know, all those kind of fun things you would do. The the well-deserved vacation, Brian, you haven't had probably in too long. (laughs) Too long or maybe never. (laughs) But that's how it goes in a household of two freelancers. Exactly, exactly. But that sounds great. I'm with you. I'm like, I'm dreaming of it now. (laughs) Oh, yeah, if it were were to happen. (laughs) So they would take pictures of you on the ship. And then the the big challenge is, can you find the picture later to buy? Like, Like impulse purchase. And so now they're putting kiosks all over the ship or in theme parks all over the theme park. You walk up to it, facial recognition, and all your photos show up. So that's a great example of a use case for identifying someone. In the other examples, let's say that you have an ad, and you think it's a great ad, and you're really excited about it, but you want to test it first. You could ask people about it, like a focus group, where people tend to be, you know, just very polite, say, oh, it was good, I liked it, you know, and they didn't really. And so what you do with us is you show them the ad, we read their emotions as they're watching the ad, and better understand how they really feel about it. And you can make you know changes and additions. And then the, the last kind of real-world use case, which you have a ton of people doing, is understanding ethnicity, age, gender. If you're doing advertisements and you own a mall or a store, and you want to find out that people actually come in that I was advertising to, you simply put a camera near the front, and we look at the faces of everybody who's coming in and dissect and understand their age, gender, and ethnicity. That's really fascinating. I think recently you've sort of extended that too. And you launched this thing about diversity recognition. We should tell people about that. What's what's going on there and what's the link so people can try that out? Absolutely. So you go to kairos.com forward slash you, Y-O-U. And what that is, is, you know, we found out a number of weeks ago that we could actually figure out ethnicity down to the, the percentages. So 
if you had, let's say, one uh, African-American parent and then one Cuban parent, it would come back, you know, 44% black, 47% um, Hispanic. So it's actually like a genealogy tool that people can use to understand their own diversity instantly, as opposed to sending like a swab back to like um, Ancestry.com or 23andMe. It's an interesting use case and sort of like something that fell out of something you were doing really well. And there's going to probably be more things that come up like that in the years to follow, I bet. Yeah, absolutely. And we made it available to people, one, to better understand themselves and their diversity, and that we're all really diverse, more diverse than we think. But two, we think it's a great way for people to get it to know us and understand us and our values and our philosophies. And when you get somebody to do something for free, I think it endears some trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. So recently, we were hanging out at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. It was a pretty good time uh, hanging out with the backstage crew and portfolio companies. And you shared some pretty mind-blowing growth statistics with me. Would you be comfortable sharing those here? It would kind of help people get some context as to what's going on there and what it must be like for your team. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I actually have some updated statistics, which are probably a little better than even the ones I gave you before. (laughs) So... We think of ourselves as how many faces have we processed, right? Because if we're processing faces as a facial recognition company, that means we're doing some things right. That's the goal, right? Yep. And so November 2015, when we first really got into using facial recognition as a service. We were processing 47,000 faces a month through our servers, which we thought was, at the time, we thought that was great, you know, 47,000 people. Yeah. By November 6, uh, 2016, we were processing 3.5 million faces a month. <laughs> so the growth between 2015 and 2016 was 7,180%. Oh, man. Wow. That's incredible. And so one could say, okay, well, you basically went from zero to a big number. So of course it's 7,000%. <laughs> right. But can you keep up that growth? Or is it just like a fluke kind of thing? And absolutely, the growth has only sped up. We went from 3.5 million faces in November of last year we're recording this on March 30th, we've processed so far this month 36 million faces, a growth number of almost a thousand percent in the last, you know, six months or so. Wow. That is really impressive. Great job on that. Thank you. You know, you personally have had a pretty stellar career path in tech. You've worked for big companies like Comcast, ADP, IBM, and even the coveted job at Apple, which is pretty exciting. Was the transition from being an employee at companies like that to being a founder challenging? And why on earth did you decide to take that leap? Yeah, yeah. I mean, talk about the, the coveting job at Apple that I quit to start Kairos. So <laughs> one of these crazy founders, right? You know, I think my entire career, maybe even through school as well, I was always like the talented troublemaker, right? I was always the guy that was too talented and too helpful to fire, but man, he's always asking so many questions. Why do we do things this way? Why do we do things that way? Can we be better? And I think that it served me well in corporate America, but I reached a point where I said, you know, I have got my own dreams, my own aspirations. I love Steve's jobs, dreams and vision. And I still do, but I wanted to do my own thing and like make my own mark on the universe. And so I knew it was the right time to leave Apple and start Kairos. To get some context on the size of your culture, about how many employees and locations do you have now at Kairos? We're 18 people, or spread across really two offices, Miami and Singapore, and we've got a couple people remote, but generally it's Miami and Singapore and 18 people. I didn't know that about Singapore. That's interesting. Yeah, we bought a company last year called Immersive that had a team in Singapore, and uh, it's really good for us. It's a great way to kind of leapfrog into Asia. 
That's something that's really interesting from a company culture perspective is merging two companies together. What was that process like? Was it challenging and, and how did it go? I think the entire thing was challenging. <laughs> I mean, you think about a startup, right? Only a few years in, imagine me going to the board and saying, guess what? I'm going to buy another company. <laughs> like the look on people's face is like, uh, why don't you focus on what you're doing there? Right. But after some really showing them the numbers and the data and the plan and what we thought we could do, uh, we went approval with the board and it was definitely the best decision we could have made buying the intellectual property and the talent that we got in that acquisition. And to your point, taking the time to make sure that the cultures were able to mesh well really led us to a good place. Because of my background with IBM and Apple and others, I spent a lot of time doing HR transformation projects and helping companies to merge cultures. So I happen to be very good at that. And it's really become a strategy of ours. We will continue to buy companies where we think we can be successful because it allows you both organic and inorganic growth. Wow. You are a really special founder. I mean, to have that in your background is like quite the superpower. I guess that kind of makes sense of how you made the whole acquisition at such an early stage work. So props for that. Thank you for that. And I think that a lot of venture capitalists that we speak to, sometimes they get really caught up on like hiring that PhD founder for a computer vision startup, right? And there's some examples of success there, but I don't, you know, we're going for the Snapchat success. You know, we're going for the Twilio success. We're going for the IPO success. Uh, and we don't see a lot of those founders going that far. And I think one of the challenges, and we've seen this in our competitors, is really brilliant founders, really brilliant PhDs, but don't have enough business knowledge or acumen. They really take the business to the next level. And we're really proud of the fact that we're really business experts that have hired some really amazing PhDs. Yeah, that is an interesting, unexpected way to go about it, but it, it seems to be working. So please keep at it. <laughs> we will. We will. So Miami, okay. You're, you're headquartered in Miami. Tell me about why you chose to start up in Miami and what the scene's like there. It's so interesting. And it's, people ask me that question often as well. I think that there's a story about Miami that hasn't been told, but the data does tell the story. So number one, Kaufman does a report every year on, on the most entrepreneurial cities in the country. Miami is consistently top three. And, and last year, it was number two in the country for the most entrepreneurial city. Austin was number one. We were number two. Um, so there's just a ton of startups in Miami. I mean, we, you know, five years ago, we opened our first co-working space in the Wynwood section called the Lab Miami. And now we have over 20. You know, we have three open WeWorks now. We're getting three or four more. It's an unbelievable startup scene in Miami. And there's a couple of reasons. One, amazing access to talent. This is another thing that people simply, you know, wouldn't realize. But just this week, the Census Bureau released the numbers for immigration, uh, particularly skilled labor. So immigrants that have a graduate degree or better. Right? Number one city in the country for new immigrants and number two city for those that are skilled was Miami. We were number one in the country for immigrants and we beat out the Valley, San Jose. And we were number two. And those immigrants are highly skilled that had their bachelors, but almost 40% or more that had their graduate degrees. So just like San Francisco has a great influx of both talent from the U.S. and also from Asia, Miami has a great influx of talent from Latin America and Europe and Canada. And so we are really growing the exact same way that San Francisco did. If you think back maybe a decade ago, people just don't quite realize it. That's pretty cool. 
I'm happy to hear that untold story and the fact that you chose Miami. There's some kind of gravity there for you. So that's really interesting to hear more about. I have to admit that money plays a role too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as great as all those numbers are, two big things stick out for me. For every three startups, there's one angel investor in California. In Florida, there are three angel investors for every one startup. So we're definitely incentivized in the money perspective. And of course, there's no income tax and this lower cost of doing business rent is dirt cheap compared to San Francisco or New York. So there are other financial reasons why it makes a lot of sense too. So I'm excited to hear what the mission of Kairos is. Can you share that with us? The Kairos mission, our grand theme, you know, why we exist is to allow our customers to better understand humanity and ultimately to better serve humanity through our software. On the highest level, you know, we want to serve others, right? We're really focused on serving humanity. We believe that, you know, through our customers that you can have a much better experience in almost everything that you do if the customer can better understand you. Right. And so we enable our customers to better understand humans. We're a very positive team. We think a lot about our technology. We've come out very strongly on the side of privacy protections. And I've spoken on this both at South by Southwest, but even to the Department of Commerce in DC. We just think that technology like ours can be helpful, but also can be, you know, very kind of got to be mindful of how it's used. And so we're trying to help our customers and the industry as a whole to be thoughtful and mindful of how we protect people's privacy. It's interesting to hear about using Kairos's features for good as a conscious effort. Has that been part of the design of your cultural values? Yeah, I think we're very positive in nature. I probably go a little bit back to my own experience. I'm from Pennsylvania originally. We're very kind of Pennsylvania Quaker, right? And our tolerance-friendly Philadelphians. So I grew up thinking a lot about being my brother and sister's keeper, you know, taking care of my neighbors. And, uh, I think that we've woven those concepts and those thoughts into the Kairos culture, and we want to build products that help others to do that. And so, you know, you look at other people, FBI, others that are using facial recognition to maybe identify criminals and terrorists, and we think there's a place for that, certainly. Um, But we're really more interested in making people's lives a little better. Can you share some examples of Kairos making people's lives better? Yeah, you know, one of the things that we're most proud of aren't necessarily the commercial uses. There are some people we give the application away for totally free. There are some things we just think are so important for humanity that we should share. And so there's a group in India called Helping Faceless that helps to find missing and exploited children with facial recognition and reunite them with their parents. And we give them the software for free. There's a young girl named Emma Yang in New York City. Her grandmother has Alzheimer's and was starting to forget the important people in her life. And she built her an app. She's only 13 years old. She built her an app, iOS app, using facial recognition so that her grandmother could identify people and it will give her a little bit of history and who that is so she doesn't have to feel so embarrassed and ask people who they are time and time again. And so, of course, we give her the application for free. There are so many things that we can do to make this world a better place, commercially and non-commercially, and we are really committed to serving both. That's wonderful. Thanks for sharing those. One thing I find super interesting about Kairos is that the sort of juxtaposition of technology and human emotion, you know, you seem to gravitate towards that. It's all about very advanced tech with, you know, AI and machine learning and data at scale, but you always sort of use it for the purpose of discovering very essential human qualities. What led you to that intersection? That might be a little bit of residual Apple kind of uh, <laughs> in, Interesting. In, 
in my uh, in my blood. Steve Jobs, before he died, did an interesting presentation. It wasn't about the product, but one of his keynotes. He talked about Apple sitting at the intersection of technology and the humanities, right? And that if you were able to take something that's infinitely complicated from a technology perspective, make it simple, elegant, easy to use, you could do something really special. And I think that's really our story as well. In facial recognition, we're using very advanced things, deep learning, machine learning, artificial intelligence, right? Something called computational anatomy. But at the end of the day, we're trying to simplify all that, strip that all away so that people can use our products easily, simply, and elegantly, and then really surprise and delight their customers. Excellent. Now, I want to dive deeper into your core values. You have a value that you phrase as delivery beyond expectation. And, you know, I heard you mention after working at Apple that Steve Jobs had something to do with you kind of having this high level of expectations. Can you talk more about that and where this value comes from and how it applies to your employees? Yeah, there's a really delicate balance I think startups and other companies have to think about, which is you want to deliver a product, you want to deliver quickly because, you know, speed is the only tool a company our age or our size has when going against some competitors, right? But at the same time, we want excellent quality and to the point of, of the value, delivering beyond expectation. And so what that really means is both internally and externally, when someone asks you for something, you should deliver more than they expected. They should be surprised and delighted by what they get back. And when you can do that and you can do it consistently, you build an amazing bond of trust. And I know from my days at Apple, but also at IBM, companies that have strong trust grow exponentially. Things move faster, deals move faster, legal approvals move faster, you name it. When you trust the other partner, you can really do things really, really special. And so we try to breed trust in all of our relationships, both internally and externally. How does this sort of pan out, this you know, high level of quality and instilling trust in your customers? For your team working there at Kairos, you know, is there someone who's kind of like that Steve Jobsian character who's saying, no, do it 10 times better? Or, you know, what's the experience like for employees there? I like to believe that I get Jobsian results with a different approach. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, having been there and been in the environment, I I know multiple people that have been fired by Steve Jobs multiple times. So, multiple times. uh, So, Oh, that's a badge of honor at Apple. If you haven't been fired by Steve Jobs at least once or twice, you haven't been here long enough, right? (laughs) (laughs) But I've never been fired, even though he was there when I was there. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that there's a difference between the Jobs approach and mine, which is I'm a firm believer that people will live either up to or down to your expectation. And so if you have low expectations of your staff, they will definitely meet your low expectations. But when you have high expectations, and again, you have high trust, uh, you can do things and say, you know how important this project is. I need you to deliver it as fast as you can, whatever that is, however that works. You know, I'm not asking you to work late hours. I'm not asking you to miss your kids' plays. I'm asking you to find the balance that's right for you. Right? And when you do that and you trust people, I have found that my team over-delivers every single day, day in, day out for years, and without any burnout. And so uh, that's the balance that we take. Speaking of the sort of traits of your team, you have two values around those sort of personality traits. One is integrity, build a positive team and family spirit. And the other one is humility, 
which you describe as seek and provide honest feedback. The first part of my question is, how do you suss those things out in hiring? Because we do a lot of work with emotions and the human mind and things, we do a lot of analysis of someone's personality type. Are they going to mix and mesh well? A couple of things that you can do, and anybody can do this. Like, for instance, IBM uh, Watson has some open, available tools that you can just take someone's writing and copy and paste it in, uh, and it'll give you a deep personality insight of that person's personality. Right? You can look for some trends and some cohorts, and are they really the right folks for your organization? But there are also some things around grit. So we like this thing called the grit scale, if you Google that. And understanding someone who can be in a tough situation and has the grit and the toughness to figure out a solution for that. But you've got to balance that grit and the toughness, but also be you know humble and not uh, be kind of like you know an a-hole. So. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That sort of speaks to the other part I wanted to ask about, which is the family spirit part. The language is interesting to me because that's a distinct choice you're making sort of culturally. So how far do you take that family spirit part? Is it like everyone's required to like have dinner outside of work together or it just happens to be that you hire people who want to hang out together. Tell me more about what family spirit means to you. I think family spirit is a lot more like your real family. So in your family, and you know, we won't name names, Brian, because I'm sure you love them all, right? <laughs> yes. Of course, equally and deeply, of course. Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's possible in the Landers family, there are people that you may or may not hang out with if you weren't related to them, right? Sure. I thought that was the definition of family. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I got to come here Thanksgiving next year. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's kind of what we're talking about. We're not trying to create a fake homogeneous family where you're forced to sit and talk to each other. What we're saying is love your brother and your sister so deeply, so beyond their maybe potential flaws, and trust them implicitly because they're family, even when they make mistakes. And if you can do that, you know, we can be successful. And that's really what it is. Uh, not, not us all getting along every day, but certainly all of us loving each other beyond that. That's wonderful. The intention of that too is really admirable that you've built that into the culture. So I, I think that's really cool. You have a value that you call adaptability. We keep moving forward against all odds. That one's interesting. It sounds, this is one of those values where it sounds like there's a bit of experience behind it, kind of leading it. <laughs> where did this value come from and what odds are you referring to there? Well, this one is a little different than, than the family one. This is more about brute force, right? This is, <laughs> like, this is like going to war. This is, you know, there's so much going on in the world and the market's always changing and pricing's always changing and people are either learning about you or forgetting about you or the, you know... There's so much that we've got to digest. There's also so much noise in the world. And so how do we help people to understand some things about what we're doing, what we believe, right? This is another classic Steve Jobs, you know. I remember rolling out an advertisement. He said, you know, the world is so noisy. How do we get them to remember something about us, right? That definitely stuck with me. With all these things that are going on, that all these distractions, all these issues, we have to keep making progress. We have to grow. I'm a firm believer that if you're not growing, you're dying. And I can tell you, having grown up in Philadelphia in the 1980s, when growth has stagnated versus living in Miami now, and Philly, by the way, now is growing again. I know the difference between you know, cranes in the skyline versus no cranes in the skyline. And I know how it feels when a city is contracting versus a city growing. Growth 
allows you to have the comfort and the safety and the security to do great things. And so we want to grow at all costs, at all measures, against all odds. And if we can do that, it will allow us the flexibility, the cover, to have this amazing, harmonious family underneath that. Yeah, I really like that. People have said on the show in the past that everyone likes to talk about their culture and their values and have them be sort of aspirational. And it's clear that values can help you assess people in hiring. The true test of a core value is to fire someone around a value. Has that ever been something you've had to do? Oh, unfortunately, firings are tough for me. I'm, I've done it a ton of times in my career, probably 50 or more times. But uh, I think, uh, well, I've said this publicly and privately. Any and every time that I've had to fire someone, it didn't represent their failure, it represented my own. Either I hired the wrong person, I didn't help them enough, I didn't support them enough, I didn't spend enough time. But in any of those cases, whenever someone fires someone, it's an indictment on the firer, not the fiery. I firmly believe that. That's really interesting. I've heard you mention in, in other interviews, yeah, that you're a proponent of servant leadership. Is that correct? Mm, yes. That sounds like that to me, what you're describing. Yes, absolutely. Another kind of deep core belief for all of our managers as well, beyond me, we serve at the pleasure of the staff, not the other way around. So I exist to create a situation that is best for my team. That is my whole mission as a leader. That could be having enough funding. It could be providing them a great workspace, or it could be a number of things. But I need to give them a situation where they can do the best work of their life and simply get out of the way from everything from funding to taking the trash out. And so I take that responsibility seriously, and I definitely serve them. They don't serve me. That's really cool. You have a value. Love what you do. When you truly care for your work, you unlock greatness. Tell me more about that value. Yeah, I just think that uh, I've been in jobs where I didn't love them. I'm sure you have too, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And you know how it feels, right? In a job that you don't like. I mean, every day you drag yourself into that store, into that office. And it's not always about what you make either, right? I had a busboy job as a kid that I loved. Absolutely loved that job. I had a debt collection job that I actually enjoyed. Interesting. Oh, it was great. Because I talked to so many people in so many places. I learned so much about the country from talking to people all over the country every single day. Love that job. And I had other jobs. I paid well, nice office, you know, that I couldn't stand. I couldn't get out of there fast enough. And I think that when you love what you do, you will do the best work of your life. And so it's really important to find the job that you love. And if you're not in it, don't be scared. Quit. I mean, I quit Apple. It was one of the best decisions of my life. We'll find out if it's the best financial decision or not, depending on the exit of Kairos. But it certainly made me happier for this period of my life. So I just say do it. That's pretty inspiring. Tell me this, you know, with a team that has a value of love what you do, what was a recent win you had as a team and how did you celebrate that? A couple things. We celebrate a lot of the little wins and then the big ones we kind of enjoy. We move on. I think that's important. But Little things, you know, there was a period last week where we had the biggest number of users sign up for the product ever, and the very next day, it happened again, right? So we were just, took our time and really said, user signups 
represents a lot of things that are going right. From design to SEO to you name it, to engineering. Let's take those little wins and let's just take a second and just congratulations for all the good hard work. I mean, even the copy that we've written for the website, a lot of thought goes into that. So these signups, every single customer that we gain on our platform, we have you know well over 10,000, uh, well over 12,000 customers, is, uh, represents the success of our team. Do you guys have any sort of little ceremonies or you know, ways you specifically celebrate? You know, on the sales team, we have a little ceremony kind of thing to celebrate the wins. So we call them success tacos. <laughs> Everyone loves a taco, right? I mean, oh, yeah. And so we use Slack as an integration tool. And so when we get certain signups or certain signed contracts, that sort of thing, we will send some success tacos uh, to each other to, to show the love. That's it. I love that kind of like little detail. If you were considering working at Kairos, it would kind of help you imagine yourself there, you know? Oh, absolutely. You should put tacos on the resume. There you have it. Pro tip there. <laughs> well, Brian, the growth you're experiencing, the quality of your products, the vibe of your team, it's all very impressive. And I really can't wait to see what's next for you guys. I hope the growth continues and it's just going to be staggering to see. So where can people follow along and are you currently hiring? Oh, absolutely. So you can go to kairos.com is our main website. You can follow me at, at Brian Brecking. You can follow us on Twitter at, at Love Kairos. And yeah, we're always looking for computer vision engineers, particularly as an area of real need for us. I'll just add that Backstage has been such an amazing partner and investor for us. Next year, we're going to do a, hopefully a much larger round to take over the world. And so if you're a big time investor, come check me out uh, in a year or so. And uh, hopefully we'll have some things going on that we can announce here then. I'm sure you will. I'm sure there will be plenty of news and metrics jumping through the roof. There will be no roof by that point with you. (laughs) We're roofless. (laughs) Thanks so much for your time today, Brian, and keep up the good work. Thanks so much, and I'll see you at Thanksgiving next year. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Just bring some family spirit with you. (laughs) You can find show notes at backstagecapital.com slash mission and values. Let us know what you think of the show. You can find me on Twitter at Brian Landers. That's B-R-Y-A-N. You can also email greenroom at backstagecapital.com. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review in iTunes or just share it with someone and that'll help spread the word. The theme music is by Shane Ensley and it's hot off the new Kneebody album called Antihero. Definitely go check it out at K-N-E-E-B-O-D-Y dot com. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for next time on Mission and Values.